So a little bit of trepidation about the study tonight just because uh, uh, I feel a little bit like Elihu when he said, I'm, my, my belly is filled with new wine, I'm full of words. But <laughs> I, I, just, I hope that I can kind of get across some of the things that, that I found here in my study um, and, and do justice to it. I told Stephanie that slightly concerned that it might be a little bit of a train wreck. But please know that if it is a train wreck, it, that's, that reflects on, uh, on, on my abilities and not on the, on the word. Um, there are some amazing truths uh, in here. And so I hope that I can kind of get them across. Uh, we're going to be in uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew 26. And we're going to be talking about uh, the, the Last Supper. And the, the topic of the Last Supper, I feel, is all, in a way sort of overlooked just because of its familiarity, our familiarity with, uh, with communion and what that represents. Um, of course, we all know the, the Passover story and what that represents and so when we come to the Lord's Supper, um, we, we read it fairly briskly, or at least I find that I have. Um, but in studying this, I've just seen some just incredible uh, gems that are hidden in here uh, that I, I hope that I can uh, illuminate. Uh, but again, the, la- the Last Supper being a really important topic, Luke says, quoting Jesus, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Jesus telling his disciples, I have earnestly desired to share this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Um, and I, I will not eat of it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. So this, uh, first of all, and we're in verse 26, uh, sorry. Matthew 26, verse 26. So this, first and foremost, is um, a celebration of the Passover. But really, especially of the true Passover. It's the very last one to be celebrated looking forward towards the the death and, and crucifixion of Christ. Um, and now we celebrate communion looking back upon it. Uh, but this was the last one looking forward. Now, of course, the Jews at that time thought that they were looking back because for them it was a memorial of the, of the, of the death angel and the passing over. But even that was just a simple shadow, a simple picture of the true Passover which was to come. Um, so he talks about it being fulfilled. Um, will not eat until it's, it's fulfilled. And it was fulfilled when on the cross he said, it is finished. He finished the work. He drained the cup. He finished the work. And he said, it is finished. Ushering in the kingdom of God, in, ushering in the kingdom of, of Christ. Because now um, the message is no longer uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But the message now is the good news of the, of the kingdom of Christ that has come through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
and we preach that that good news, that gospel. In Revelation uh, 2, 26, 27, he says, um, you will, uh, I will grant to you, with, uh, you to sit on my throne as my father granted for me to sit on his throne. So Christ is already sitting on his throne. And if you uh, remember, the, in, again in Revelation, the story of um, you have the woman in the pains of childbirth brings forth the child. The dragon's there to swallow it. And the child is caught up to God and to his throne. So he's caught up to God to, and to the throne. And then immediately after that, you have the casting out of Satan. You have Satan being thrown down. So Christ has already begun his kingdom, and he sits on his throne. Um, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he tells them as much when he tells them that already you reign. And how I wish that you would reign and that we would reign with you. So we already, there's already a, a coming of Christ's kingdom in his, his um, throne and him sitting on the throne. It is finished. It is fulfilled. He's brought in that new covenant that we are under, the, the covenant of the kingdom under Christ. So now, um, again, we do this, we celebrate this in remembrance. We do it as looking at something new. Or something made new. And I wanted to um, look at that a little bit just because I noticed a, a, a sharp difference between the way Matthew and Mark describe the Last Supper and the way that Luke describes it. Both Matthew and Mark say, this, uh, Jesus ha- passes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant. And in Luke, it says, this is the new covenant in my blood. So there's a little bit of, so which one is it? Is it the blood of the covenant or is it a new covenant? Well, it's kind of all one. Um, but I wanted to kind of wrestle with this idea a little bit because there are different, there are differing views about whether it's really a new covenant at all or whether it's just a, what people call a new dispensation of an old covenant. The point is kind of mute. It's kind of all one because if you think about, if you think about the perspective that Matthew and Mark are writing from, both as Jews, they're writing it in terms of, of the covenant that they're familiar with. They are familiar with the symbol. They're familiar with the Passover. They are a part of that covenant. Uh, they trace their lineage back to Abraham. Um, whereas Luke, Luke is the um, physician of Paul who is the apostle to the Gentiles and Luke wrote Luke and Acts together as one book detailing the beginning of the gospel to its going out to the Gentiles so from the Gentile perspective it's a new covenant we never had any part in that covenant we, we were, we're not blood relatives of Abraham uh, we don't have a, plot, a family plot of land in the promised land while the promise was there all along that God was going to bring in the Gentiles, that had not been accomplished. And so we had no part in the blessings. We had no part in the covenant. So for Matthew and Mark, it's, a co- it's the blood of the covenant made new for the Gentiles. It's, a, it's truly new. We're like, the, um, uh, we're like the Canaanite woman who's, who comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, I was only sent to the lost tribes of Israel. And she says, but even the dogs wait for crumbs from the table. 
And that's where we were. We were waiting for crumbs from the table, but now we have this this new covenant. And it's 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 totally common practice then and now to when you're relating a story, you condense it. You, you know, we don't have every last word that happened during the meal. We have the parts that are relevant to us. So when they when they condense it and they paraphrase um, in this way or that, it, ha- it relates to the message that they're trying to get across. Um, and that's common practice. If I tell you what, uh, about bumping into a friend at the grocery store and an important conversation that we had, I'm not going to tell you every item that I put into my shopping cart. So I, I, I feel that it's um, that's really where the difference is. It's, they're saying the same thing. And importantly, they both say, at some point, they use the word new. So Matthew and Mark will say, I will, say, I will not drink it until I drink it new with you. And then Luke says, this is the new covenant in my blood. So they're all saying one and the same. But that, since that is a point of contention that I've seen, I did want to um, uh, just to touch on that briefly. So going to Matthew, let's go ahead and read Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, so again, just a brief, a quick summary. We have um, this referring back to the Passover, which is the memorial of the last uh, plague in Egypt. The death angel comes and slays the firstborn, but for all of those who have the blood on the, on the doorpost, uh, the angel passes over. Um, sparing the firstborn. And it was celebrated, of course, with the Passover lamb and with the removal of yeast from the home, symbolizing the, the taking away of sin. So we have, all of these, we have all of these symbols that are familiar to us. But I wanted to especially dwell on the, on the idea of the body and of the blood, the body of, and the blood. It's, and it's kind of it's kind of ironic because Larry actually brought this up on Sunday, um, Sunday evening, that the, the idea of drinking blood for Jews would have been absolutely anathema. And that's actually kind of what inspired me to, to study this. It was a couple weeks ago I was on my way to uh, music practice here, and th- that thought had just suddenly come to me. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit more and then... Larry mentioned it, and then John covered a lot of it. So there's going to be a lot of repetition here. Um, Stephanie was teasing me the other day that everybody's going to think you stole this from John. <laughs> but that's good. Uh, so taking a look at the bread. Uh, Christ gave this as an example. And Paul says, when he uh, speaks to the Corinthians about the communion, he says to the Corinthians that, He's giving to them what Christ gave to him as a, as a pattern to follow, as an example to follow. And he first, uh, he took the bread, broke it. I'm sorry, let me back up. After blessing it, broke it. And he gave thanks for the cup. 
And the, those two words are actually just, they're actually just one word. It's one word that has the idea of, of both, blessing, thanksgiving. It, it's a, a, a dual idea there. So this idea of coming to the table and giving thanks uh, and of blessing, which really, if you think about it, is that is how we ought to be coming to the communion table, is with blessing and thanksgiving. And Paul um, admonishes the Corinthians uh, that their revelry is misplaced because they don't discern the body. So I wanted to look at the body. They don't discern the body. Well, whose body? Christ's body. The body, they don't discern Christ's body. They don't understand, and they're not reverencing the significance of, of what he did, of his broken body. They're coming together as um, they're coming together as the pagans would come together as some you know ritual or rite, uh, you know drinking and getting drunk and 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 all of this, without discerning the incredible sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. Um, perhaps without even having the work of Christ uh, applied to their lives, and and here they are they're drinking the symbol of the blood of Christ without the actual work of Christ's blood on their hearts. So it's important to discern the body. And if we truly discern the body, if we truly understand the significance of the incredible significance of Christ coming and dying, his body being broken, and and the judgment of God coming upon him for our benefit, then we should come with humility and with thankfulness and with blessing. Uh, thanking uh, Jesus for the work that he's done for us. Let's turn really quick to Psalm 116. And I feel that this just illustrates that point really well. Psalm 116, verse 12. What sh- uh, this is David, well, it's presumably David speaking, and in the first part of the psalm, he describes how God has saved his soul from death and delivered him. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? Question. Answer. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So that that's his response. Is he, That's all he can do, is lift up that cup of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God. Pay my vows to the Lord. I'm going to follow through with what I've said that I would, that I would follow Christ for what he's done. It's a, it's a response of thankfulness and of blessing because there is no other response you can have because we add nothing to the work. We have nothing to contribute. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. So I was a, I was a slave, twice over a slave, a slave born in your household. I will offer to you the sacrifice of, not of sin, he doesn't offer the sin offering. I'll offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Because the, the God, he recognizes that God has already done the work for him. And there's nothing that he can do but, but um, issue his thanks for that. So if we truly discern the body, 
we respond with thankfulness to his sacrifice. Going back to the verse, after blessing it, he broke it and gave to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And this is such a powerful metaphor, this metaphor of, um, of a meal. Uh, it's really kind of a universal symbol across you know, whatever culture anybody can grasp onto this idea of, of a meal, of something broken, of something ingested, of something that, that sustains your life. So it's important then to, 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 under, to avoid an error, though, and realize that this is this is speaking spiritually. Um, it's, it's not the the bread that gives life as bread, but uh, the body of Christ as the bread as a symbol of the body of Christ. But not the eating of it. If we never had communion, but we still had the faith faith in Jesus Christ, we would still be be saved by that. It's simply an image. It's simply. A remembrance, but it is something that trips people up, and even people who have a pretty good understanding of Scripture, that there's some sort of spiritual power to this taking of the of the of the Lord's Supper. Um, for a lot of for a lot of people, it's common practice to have a, a last communion um, if somebody is in in uh, facing imminent death. But that's precisely the, the Corinthian error, is that the, the eating and the drinking what was, is what was giving them some spiritual benefit. So they, they could just eat and drink as they pleased, and they weren't discerning the real meaning of it. Um, and presumably, we, could, we can assume that, that Judas may have been here with them, eating and drinking. Judgment on himself, as, as Corinthian says. Um, my dad pointed out an interesting verse. If you think of Psalm 23, uh, you set a table before uh, in the presence of my enemies. I don't know that that relates here, but uh, interesting idea. And the Jews had the, the same exact, made the same exact error in John 6, which uh, John went over Sunday night. They understand when he says, to some degree, they understand when he says, I'm the, the bread that comes from heaven. They understand a little bit of what he's saying because they took offense at it because they understand that he's saying something significant, significant about his person. But they're also very confused and they say, how is this man going to give us his flesh to eat? But they're all missing the point. Just as in, um, in Matthew 15, when Jesus talks about what defiles a person, is it what goes into a person? No, it enters the stomach and is expelled, but it's what comes out of a person because that issues from the heart. So if what enters you does not make you unclean, but rather what comes out of the heart, then similarly, it's not what goes into your body that makes you clean, but what goes into your heart. It's not the ingesting of bread, miraculous or otherwise, but it's the, it's, the, it's the work of Christ on you by the breaking of his body. He says, this is my body given to you to be broken. Um, which, of course, goes back to the law of Moses, which the law required that a body be broken for sin. 
uh, and Christ died in order to satisfy that requirement, in order to that sin might be judged in the flesh and condemned. Um, if you look at, take a look at Romans eight. Starting in verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he condemned sin in the flesh. Um, in whose flesh? Well, he condemned it in our flesh because he had no sin. But in his, in his death, he condemned all sin in the flesh. One word, sin in the flesh. Um, because a, an imperfect body cannot satisfy the, the requirement of man of judgment. Our, our death doesn't count in, in terms of the judgment of sin, which was an interesting thought because... A sacrifice had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. So I can't die for Stephanie's sins. She can't die for mine. We're both blemished. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You remain in a in a permanent state of unatonement. You truly die in your sins without the work of Christ, because only the perfect, um, unblemished Lamb could be used in the sacrifice, which Christ was. So when he condemned sin in the flesh, it was on our behalf and he condemned it across the board. And I, I don't mean for um, that those who don't believe in Christ, their sins are forgiven. They, their sins can be forgiven, but he condemned sin. He, he satisfied the judgment that God's law required that sin be condemned in the flesh, whether you believe in him and accept his, his atonement or not. The sin in the flesh has been condemned. And that's, that judgment remains on, on sinful flesh. So our body will wither away and perish, and that judgment will still fall on it because he's condemned sin in the flesh, but it wasn't satisfied until Christ satisfied it. It took Christ's perfect body to satisfy that judgment. It couldn't be an imperfect body. So the key being that, that it's been satisfied. His body, his bread has satisfied. And then having satisfied it, now we can be sprinkled clean by his blood. In the sacrifices, there were, there were really kind of two steps to it. One, a body had to be broken. An animal was uh, killed. And two, its blood was sprinkled. And the, and the animal, by the way, the body, was burned. It was, it was consumed. It was destroyed. But the blood what sprinkles to make clean. So you would place your head, hand on the head of the animal, signifying the transfer of guilt to that animal. The, the body would be broken, 
and and uh, and consumed, and the the blood would be uh, sprinkled for the for the purification for the cleansing. Yes. That's a good question, um, and Larry might know the answer to that. But I'm I'm not sure that they did that in every single instance. But I know in um, in Exodus when it first introduces the sin offering, um, it describes the the laying on of the hands, uh, the head of the animal. I I believe it was the person bringing the sacrifice who would lay their hands on it. Yeah, yeah, and they, I know they did that with, uh, I don't know if they did that with the peace offerings, but they did that with the sin offering, and they did that with the, um, on the Day of Atonement when they offered the, uh, what do you call it, the lamb on the Day of, the ato- of Atonement, yeah. Um, so they would lay, the, yeah, but its body would be, would be burned in judgment. So Christ's body was broken on our behalf. Now, Speaking of the blood, it says back in Matthew, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this, um, the metaphor of, of Christ, uh, of, the, of the wine as Christ's blood, is an interesting one to me, because the Bible actually says quite a bit about uh, wine, uh, Jesus, Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine. And, of course, we're familiar with Ephesians 5.18 where it says, Be not filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't deal with wine, but this deals with drink. You have the woman at the well and Jesus saying that I will become in you uh, a spring to eternal life welling up inside of you. And then, finally, uh, Corinthians uh, 2.9. Let's take a look at that. I may have the wrong reference. Colossians, sorry. I knew there was a verse in there. I was like, why is, why is it not a verse? Colossians 2.9 For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. So this idea of not being filled with wine, but being filled with the Spirit, being filled with Christ. And I wanted to look at this twofold principle of this idea of not the physical it's not the physical whether you're being filled with wine to drunkenness or whether you're looking to the physical cup the physical wine to give you some spiritual benefit it's not the physical but it's the spiritual it's the be filled with the holy spirit it's be filled with christ um and of course there there are lots of philosophies even today well maybe especially today that believe that drunkenness or getting high is some form of enlightenment or that there's some spiritual benefit in these things or even that there's a spiritual benefit in not doing these things in in denying yourself certain foods um, or, uh, or 
various asceticism or things like that, that there's some physical, there's some spiritual benefit to these physical exercises. But I think that really the principles here laid out in scripture are that they're not there. You have to look at these things spiritually and apply them to yourself spiritually. And we get to the part that really fascinates me because, again, here he tells them um, to drink the blood, which is, again, absolutely anathema, absolutely accursed. You are not to drink the blood. Uh, Let me read to you from Leviticus. Leviticus 17. Ten through sixteen. Here we go. If any, uh, well, ten through twelve. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any sojourner who among you eat blood. So pretty harsh there. You'll be cut off. You'll completely cut off. Native born or, or foreigner, you'll be cut off if you eat blood. And this um, command actually goes all the way back to um, uh, Genesis 9, to the covenant that God made with um, Noah after the flood, where he, he officially gives him permission to eat uh, of any of the animals he said I give them all to you for food only do not eat the blood with the meat for the life is in the blood so obviously this is this would this is is, is a pretty significant statement for him to make to them to the disciples uh, that they should drink his blood and that idea would have been as repulsive to them as it is to us because that our, our aversion to drinking blood is really comes from that Judeo-Christian culture informed by this scripture. So remembering that these are things are spiritually discerned, um, I think we can say that it's this isn't some pagan mysticism where you shouldn't drink the you know it's a, you're dr- ingesting some life force or something. Or, that's not what he's getting at at all. It's simple. It, John covered it on. Sunday evening, the, the, you live by the blood in you. If you drain out the blood, you die. Uh, if, you, if you slaughter an animal to eat it, the first thing you do is you slit its throat, you drain out the blood, it dies, and then you, you butcher it. Um, it lives by the blood. Its life is in the blood. So I really do think that um, this idea is, is put here to emphasize the point that he's making. That throughout the, the 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 scripture, when he's telling them, "Don't eat the blood, don't drink the blood, don't drink the blood, drink the blood, drink my blood," that it's really a way of creating dramatic emphasis because you come to that point and it's kind of it catches your breath. It makes it um, a, a dramatic uh, moment. He builds that suspense. So beyond the practical reasons of why you shouldn't. Uh, drink animals' blood, I want to look a little bit at maybe some of the reasons or some of the ways that this really sets Christ apart. These are a little bit of um, sort of my take on it. 
So I'll preface it with that. I don't know 100% that I'm accurate or correct, but the principles are straight from Scripture and the principles are true, whether that's what it's getting at with Christ here saying, drink my blood or not. But there are a few reasons that I think uh, he, he creates this incredible contrast, uh, all of which are for the purpose of setting Christ apart. One, I think it, that it reminds us that animals are unable to cleanse for sin. The blood of animals cannot cleanse from sin. Hebrews uh, 10. Hebrews 10, starting starting in verse um, 4. Well, actually, uh, verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. So that's Christ uh, referring to himself way back in the in the scroll of the book. But the point is, the blood of bulls and of, and of goats can't cleanse for sin. Um, and by saying, don't drink this, don't drink this, don't drink this, don't drink this blood, and then when it comes to his blood, saying, drink this, it's a really emphatic way of saying, okay, this is the real thing. This is the true sacrifice. This is the true blood. Backing up in Hebrews to chapter 9, Starting in verse 11, but when Christ appeared as high priest of all the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer a little bit of sarcasm there, sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Um, There's been numerous points when I was studying this that I felt like really I could have just come and read the book of Hebrews um, and been done. That maybe would have been a better study, but... um, Another way that I think that this sets apart the blood of Christ as unique is that when you, with the sacrifices, the blood was always, it was poured at the base of the altar and it was sprinkled. So, and they would carry a portion of it into the, the tent of meeting and they would sprinkle. You get the point. It was sprinkled. But Christ's blood is given without measure. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Uh, John 3, uh, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, he says that uh, he gives the spirit without measure. My cup runneth over. Before, whereas it was sprinkled in measure, now it's, it's, it's given without measure. And we, we, we drink deeply of it. 
um, and it enters it enters into us, which that's a, the third and I think kind of the most important part is that it really symbolizes the internalness of it um, because it's in, it, it's ingested into your body. And then backing up again in um, Hebrews to chapter 8, and I should have kept a finger there. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So the law uh, being written on their minds and on their hearts, and the the drinking of Christ's blood symbolizing the life of Christ in your in your heart in your soul. All of these setting apart Christ as holy, um, not in to be put in the category of goats and sheep and and, and what have you. Um, not to be a dead horse, but going over next door or a couple doors down actually. First uh, Peter. Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point. I think maybe. that oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> the, and it is true. Like all through the all through the law, you have like all these symbols, and and so many of them. Christ is every little part of it. Um, but whatever it is, we know that the work is done all by Christ. Um, and I mean, we're de- we're dead bodies. We uh, we have no power at all. He comes to us and. And, and wakes us, makes us alive. So it's not as if we, um, by our power, by our, our, yeah, or I'm going to accept this. You know, he he puts that within us to to even accept, to even respond to his, because as dead people we can't respond. That, that's a good point. First uh, Peter one uh, eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Um, oh, no, that's, I'm reading from the wrong. Sorry, here we go. Uh, chapter 1, verse 18. 
knowing that you were not ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish so not redeemed with perishable things but with imperishable so that once we have been redeemed we've been eternally redeemed we've been perfectly redeemed we've been forever redeemed it's not perishable it's not prone to relapse or or, or transgression all over again um, kind of quickly in, in closing we're running a little bit behind but I wanted to just by way of warning it's it's so important to not replace the work of Christ and the importance of his blood and of his of his sacrifice with cheap imitations um, in Galatians Paul says oh, oh you foolish Galatians who's bewitched you if you began by the spirit then why are you now trying to perfect by the flesh you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ but now you're trying to add some works to it and I have to do this or that so we have to beware of cheap imitations Uh, jump over to Proverbs uh, 9 Stephanie shared this with me and I just had to share it really quick because there are just so many attempts constantly to undermine the person and the work of Christ. Wisdom has built her house, Proverbs 9. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever lacks sense, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And then it has kind of the section here in the middle of the chapter where he talks about, he warns about the scoffer and um, basically saying, good luck instructing a scoffer. And then jumping down to 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and takes a a seat on the highest places of the town calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten eaten in secret is is pleasing. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Um, And what's interesting here is they they both uh, are setting their table. They both have their house. They're both calling from the heights for the simple to come. But wisdom... She, she's made her bread. She's mixed her wine. She set her table. But folly stole hers. Stolen, stolen bread is sweet. Stolen water is sweet. Hers is a cheap imitation. It's stolen. And it, it makes that middle section about the scoffer make all the more sense because someone who scoffs or a mocker, um, if you mock, another sense of the word mock is to imitate in a disparaging way. And and that's the mocker right there. That's that's the uh, the cheap imitator. Stolen water is sweet, and and you have all of these in in Christianity, even cheap imitations of the blood of Christ, um, um, the spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, really quick, uh, 
Let me just close, I guess, with Isaiah. Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. So there you've got the, you've got the real deal. That's all I have. Any comments, questions? All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes one of us. <laughs> your mind around yeah yeah all right well let's pray heavenly father we thank you uh, once again for your word um, and this evening together lord we just pray that um, uh, we might be covered with the blood of christ lord as we go out and as indeed we are lord and that we might share the good news of your gospel um, and the the true salvation that is only by jesus christ and through his work and only his work and his blood, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.